This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So I want to begin today by asking you to do a little experiment with me or a little experience with me. I want you to look out the window because there is a miracle out that window, a true miracle. I am talking about the trees. You ever notice that? You ever thought about that? So specifically, according to my friend, Dr. Danilo, um, there are two sugar maples in our, that yard out there and three honey locust trees. The sugar, sugar, maples, sugar maples are about 50 years old, he estimates. And uh, the honey locusts may be up to 100 years old. And if you look at them, you can see they, those trees are flourishing. They're thriving. They're growing. They have been growing. They have been healthy. And you see the fruit, so to speak, the leaves, but underneath is the real key to the life of the tree, the roots. It all starts with the roots. So the roots of those trees or an average tree that size may draw up to as much of 100 gallons of water just through a process called osmosis. Just draw it up and it pumps it, basically pumps it up the tree. It combines, you probably learned this in ninth grade science class, right? Combines with CO2 and water. It produces sugar, food for the leaves, and they grow. And the roots also add stability, so it's not so much the big roots, but it's the thousands of little tiny filament kind of finger-like roots that give the tree its stability and allows it to grow. So it all starts with the roots. That's a perfect image, and you see it on your bulletin, the front of your bulletin, your back of the bulletin, beautiful graphic of our life in Christ. And this sermon series that we're entering into today and for the next nine weeks, in which we will have all of our ordained clergy um, speak into this sermon series, the sermon series called Rooted in Jesus. And it's based on the New Testament book of Colossians. And there's a phrase in there uh, in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 that I'll read to you. You don't have to need to turn to it. But it says that he says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith. Be rooted in Jesus who he is and what he has done. So I want you to start to the turn in your Bibles to that first scripture reading we heard. And the Bible's right in front of you. If you want to pluck one of those out, it's found on page 983 in that version of the Bible. So you can turn there. And as I'm talking, you can have just continue to turn there. But, but let me begin with uh, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful members in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God the Father. Now, you might just think, well, that's blah, blah, blah. Let's just pass on. Let's get to the real stuff. But I want you to notice something about that second verse. To the faithful brothers and includes sisters as well, in Christ at Colossae. That phrase, in Christ, is literally, I'm not exaggerating, one of the most important phrases in all of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. In Christ, as a tree is planted in soil from which it can draw up nutrients and water and life and grow. So you, as a follower of Jesus, in your baptism, you are rooted you in the soil of Jesus Christ. You are in him. And God wants you to grow into your in Christ life. So look with me at verse 6. Verse 6 and 10 have the same two phrases. It says, This gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it 
and increasing as it also does among you. And then verse 10, so as, you, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is fun to see things grow. If you're a parent or if you're uh, um, an aunt or an uncle, if you have friends that have children that you're close to, to see children grow, it's incredible. And then they grow and grow and grow, and they eat and eat and eat, and they need new clothes and new clothes and new shoes, and, and you know what that's like, but it's fun. We love to see things grow. We love to see apples grow, tomatoes grow. Now we're going to see pumpkin grow, zucchini grow, the honey locust trees grow. And I think God says in this passage, I like watching things grow too. I like watching you grow. I want you to flourish. I want your in Christ life to grow. I want you to be rooted and grounded and to grow. Let me give you a couple examples from this text. So verses 4 and 5, it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Maybe you think, my faith's pretty weak. God wants your faith to grow. Maybe you think, my love is pretty inconsistent. I'm pretty turned in on myself a lot. God wants your love to grow. Maybe you think my hope is, is waning these days. I'm just maybe on the verge of despair, or maybe I, I just see all the badness in the world and all that's wrong in the world, and I've lost my hope. God wants your hope to grow. Look at one more example. Verse 11. Bearing, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Maybe you're going through something really hard, something in your personal life, something in your family, something on your job, something uh, physically, and it, you need endurance and patience. But you don't just need endurance and patience. The ancient Stoics had that. But here's something that Jesus can give you, endurance and patience with joy. That's supernatural. God wants to grow that in you. So the question I want to look at this morning is, okay, God wants us to grow. How does he do that? How does God start to grow something so that we flourish? Well, it starts with our rootedness in Jesus, rooted and built up in him. It starts with your roots of your faith soaking up the nutrients of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Let's look at verses 12 through 14 because I want to spend the rest of the sermon in just these three short verses. And let me read it to you again. And watch the, listen for the verbs, or watch the verbs. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Three verbs, qualified, delivered, transferred, and then out of that flows these benefits, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, did you notice those verbs? They're all, if you remember from 8th, ninth, 10th grade English, college English, active verbs, past tense. Somebody is acting. Who is it? Let me give you a simple sentence. So this last week on Monday night, I was over at Mark and Luciana's house for dinner. Luciana made Lebanese chicken. Who made it? Luciana. Did Mark make it? No, he did not. But Mark was there. Mark and I just ate it. We showed up, and it was done. Past tense. Luciana did something. It's done. It's completed. Why is this important? Why does this matter? Because this is one of the, if not the, most crucial thing to get straight in our spiritual growth in our in Christ life. Most of our life we hear, do, do, do. You're on your job, do, do, do. You're on a sports team or in a musical group, do, do, do. You're, um, you think of religion as do, do, do. You think God's up in heaven going, do, do, do. Do it more, do more, do better, do it right, do it enough. Your in Christ life could not be more different. It starts and it is nurtured by what God has done. Three verbs, done, done, done. If God had checklists, he would go qualified, delivered, transferred. Check, check, check. They're done at great cost to God's own self through the sacrificial life and death of his only beloved son. It starts there. So if we want to grow in Christ, we need to get God's done before our due. That is the secret to starting and nurturing your Christian life. Done before due. We do. That's very important. We're going to see that throughout this, this sermon series. But never forget where the Apostle Paul starts, the gospel, the good news of what God has done. So let's look at these three done statements. I just want to kind of dive deep into each one of these. And first of all, a little background. All three of them have echoes of the Exodus story in the Old Testament. So... I don't have all that much time to go into it, but, but trust me, every single phrase has echoes of the Exodus story in this. So there is the Exodus, but then there is also what God is always doing. God is always coming to people who are in bondage, who are trapped, who are in darkness, who are in slavery, who are tied up in knots. And God is coming in love to set them free as their redeemer and liberator. And that also, that certainly includes spiritual freedom, psychological freedom, emotional health. But in the Exodus, it also included people that who were economically, politically oppressed. And as my black pastor friends would remind me, remind me if they've been telling me over and over again these past few years, man, it also includes that. The Exodus was also about that. It's not either or. It's both of them. So look at the first word, verb, that we talked about. Giving thanks to the Father. And by the way, 
Giving thanks is a, that's how we kind of enter into this life. We give thanks. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? When you are qualified for something, you are fit, you are capable, you're good enough, you get in, you belong. You're part of it. About a year ago, in the middle of COVID, I did something really crazy. The last thing you'd want to do in my family growing up, because my dad was a doctor and my mom was a nurse, was buy a motorcycle. So I bought a motorcycle, I took the permit test, I got a license, and I started riding the thing. I felt, still felt really unqualified because I was scared to death on these things. I mean, this is, it's big. It's a legit bike. So I'm riding down the street, and I notice that, like, people on the other side of the street, as you pass them, they do this. And I'm going, why are they always doing that to me? You know, it's like, wow. It's like, and then I figured it out. It's like, oh, two fingers, two wheels. We're part of the club. I'm in with them. So I got these big Harley guys. They're like, like a massive, like 12 Harley guys going down with their huge bikes. And they're all doing this to me, you know? And I'm thinking, that's so cool. I'm in. I'm a real motorcyclist. I am qualified. How do you get in with the living God who is holy? who dwells in immortality and pure holiness and goodness and purity. How do you get into that God? Belong. Look at what it says. He has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. He has qualified you to do what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light, echo of the Exodus. So when they came out of the Exodus, the, all the tribes of Israel and then all the people in those tribes got land. They got an inheritance. They got physical space. Now, that's not our inheritance. It's not the same inheritance, but look at what our inheritance is because Paul tells us later in this letter in chapter 1, verses 27, he says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that's all of us, or most of us, God has done has, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, here's our inheritance, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. He dwells within you. The hope of glory of the world dwells in you as a follower of Jesus. That is amazing. And that is something for people of every nation and every race and every ethnicity. God has done this. So first, God has qualified us. Second, God has delivered us. Verse 13, who delivered us, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Delivered means to break somebody free. You're trapped. You can't set yourself free. Like Think like a jailbreak, a prison break. God breaks you out. What is this domain of darkness? Well, earlier in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul put it this way. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The New Testament says this is real. This isn't just make-believe. This isn't just a game. This isn't just for primitive, pre-scientific people. This is real. There are real evil forces. There are real forces of darkness. Let me give you some examples. And let me start far away so we can kind of go, oh, yeah, I can totally see that. And then let's move closer to home. Examples. So 25 years ago, in the island of Papua New Guinea, north of Australia, in the Western Highlands, there were two tribes that had hated each other for decades, decades, maybe centuries, constantly at war. A war broke out um, 25 years ago. 26 men were killed on that battlefield. The people said after that, it was so traumatic, they said the ground, they called that ground, that land, they called it the ground that ate men's blood and that was never satisfied. Ten years ago, the gospel came to both of these people groups. Remember verse 6 says, with this gospel which has come to you, indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. This isn't just a message for Americans. This isn't just a message for the United States. This is a global gospel, a global Savior. It's come in all the world. Anyway, the gospel came. Many people on both of those warring tribes accepted Jesus and was baptized into his church. And so this last December, my son was at a ceremony on that ground in which the people from those two warring tribes got together and dedicated that land to a new church that was founded. The ground that ate men's blood had now become a church where Jesus was worshipped and where lives was changed. I'm moved by that story. But then I got to ask, okay, what about our domain of darkness? What does that look like for us? Now, I'm going to mention some things, and just, it's very careful. If, if you're triggered by some of these things, you go, oh my gosh, that's me, you know? This is not to pile shame and condemnation on you. This is to cause us to remember that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So just remember that as we go through some of these things. There is the demonic darkness of envy or jealousy. You might think, that's not that bad, is it? Oh, yeah. It can consume you. You want somebody else's life. You want somebody else's body. You want somebody else's mind. You want somebody else's success. It can destroy your contentment. There is the demonic darkness of an addiction to viewing certain images or pursuing certain fantasies that seem unrelenting. There is the demonic darkness, the grip of racism or misogyny. There is a demonic darkness of living under shame or condemnation because you did something or you didn't do something, and now you're living with what you might recall regret, but it's really, it's condemnation, it's shame, and it's a cloud that follows you wherever you go, and you're never out from under it, and it's eating you up inside. And as a pastor of almost 30 years, I just see this so often, 
and I've struggled with it in my own life. There is the darkness of an abortion clinic in our culture. We have people that in our church, 40 Days for Life, they stand outside abortion clinics and pray. And maybe you're one of those people who, like me, thought, well, what good does that do? Does that really help anything? Until I actually showed up and just prayed. Prayed for the people working there. Prayed for the people coming in. Prayed for the people going out. Prayed for God's mercy. Prayed for God's mercy on me. Prayed for people driving by as they're watching us. It's a really powerful thing. Now, let me also say that if in any way you've participated in abortion, let me just say, that is not to pile shame or condemnation on you because remember the end of all this, this benefit that we have in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and there is no restrictions on that. There is no qualifications on that. That is the good news of the gospel. Or maybe it's the darkness of suicidal thoughts or despair or the fear of death. It's got a grip on you. This domain of darkness, it's so easy like the children of Israel to be like, okay, God's delivered me, but now I want to go back. I want to go back to Egypt. And you will hear Canon Stephen pray this in a few minutes. He will pray these lines from our Eucharistic liturgy. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. Why do we pray that week after week after week? Why can't we just pray that once and be done with it? Because every week we're slipping back into the domain of darkness. And every week we have to say, Jesus, have mercy on me and pull me out of that. And he says, I'm here, I'm ready, take my hand. Jesus and his church want to pull you out and want, we want to pull other people out of the domain of darkness. Now later in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul will say, do this, do that, put off the old self. As you heard in our scripture reading, Jesus said this is of utmost urgency, utmost importantly, utmost important, put off your old self, put on your new self in Christ. But it starts and it's rooted and it's nurtured in God's done. So God has qualified us. God has delivered us. And third, God has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are not alone. You've been transferred to where Jesus is. The word was used for kings and politicians and people in power who would take people and just say, hey, you're living over here, but I want you to move over here. So pack up your things and you're moving. It was usually an act of brutality, an act of oppression, but here it's an act of liberation. The living God comes and says, no, I want to transfer you. I want to move you, but I want to move you into the kingdom of my beloved son. I want to move you closer to the source of love. That's where I want to move you. And then he has something else at the end of all of these, these three duns. Verse 14, flowing out of all this in Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a beautiful way to end this, or to kind of in the middle of this, this summary of who Christ is and what he has done. And later Paul will expand on that. He said that, that all of our sins have been forgiven in chapter 2, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So think of this legal record of all the things you've done wrong, all the ways you've sinned, all the ways you've sinned against people, all the ways you've ignored God, 
all the things you've left undone that you should have done. There it is. It's all there. It's all recorded. But what happened to it? Do you hang it around your neck and wear it? No. Because God has done something with it. He's nailed it to the cross. And it's canceled. That is amazing. I got to say, when we discover the gospel or when we rediscover it, I think every Sunday when we come around the Lord's table and the Eucharist, if we're really paying attention, we should be thinking, what? This sounds too good to be true. I don't know. I don't know if I can buy this because it sounds too good. And if you're not thinking that, I don't think you're really grappling with the depth of the good in the good news. Our whole life we're being told, do, do, do. God says, done, done, done. Now you can do. I was at my grandson's soccer game. Um, he's four years old. So you know how kids play soccer, you know? Four-year-olds, have you ever seen them? They don't know their positions. It's just so frustrating. They don't, they don't know their positions. They all clump together. They're just like, a, like bees on a hive, and they just go together following the ball. So one of the moms is yelling to her daughter, we'll call her Susie, get the ball, Susie, kick the ball, Susie, try harder, Susie. And Susie just, she's in this clump, and she steps out of the clump, and she turns to her mom, like somebody at a theater going off stage, she turns to her mom and goes, Mom, I am trying. <laughs> That's the way many of us are living our lives. I am trying. What happens when God says, done, 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 and you live out of that soil? You're soaking up life from that soil. How do we get that into us? Well, of course, there's spiritual disciplines, all that kind of stuff, but I want to point to two things in this very text itself. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled. Notice the verb tense. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Those are passive verbs. Things are being done to us. We are not making the Lebanese chicken we are receiving it. We are taking the gift into ourselves. We're like a tree. You don't have to go out and tell a tree, grow, grow, grow. Come on, what's wrong with you? Now, there's a place for exhortation, so don't get me wrong. But the tree grows through osmosis by sucking up the nutrients and the water. That's us. We are creatures. When our roots are rightly planted, we will suck up the nutrients. So when you came to church today, maybe you came with, well, this is just do, do, do. I hope you came with, I hope you come next time with done, done, done. Therefore, I want to do. Or when you're reading your Bible, or when we're taking the bread and the wine, when we're loving the poor, when we're giving generously, our whole life is not first do, do, do. It's done, done, done. 
and then we can do. So you may say, oh man, I don't know how to get qualified. I messed up this week, I messed up last month, I messed up my life. Ah, it's just, it's, I can't get it right. I, I'm never going to get it right, or I, it's just no hope. I, I don't know how to get in. And God says, it's done. I qualified you. Now be filled. Be strengthened. You might say, oh man, I just keep slipping back into the domain of darkness. I'll never get out of it. And God says, it's done. I delivered you. Now take my hand. I'll pull you out again. You may say, ah, I'm just I'm just alone. I'm just struggling alone. I'm just, I'm lonely, and I'm alone, and there's nobody there for me. And God says, you're not alone. I've transferred you into the kingdom of my beloved son. It's done. So throughout this series, you will hear do. You will hear don't. And those are also in the Bible. But remember where we started this journey through Colossians. It always starts with God's done, done done. Or as St. John says, we love because he first loved us. We do because he has first done. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.